All right. Welcome to the Professionals on Purpose podcast. I've got my good friend, DeAndre Crump. He is the Senior Manager, Go-To-Market Enablement at Data Robot. Welcome, DeAndre. Awesome, Frankie. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, looking forward to chatting today. Yeah, yeah. I'm super excited. Uh, we've known each other for a little over a year, I think, and it's been awesome to see your career progression and who you are as a human being continue to develop. So I know we're going to have a great conversation today. We're going to cover four main topics here. We're going to go over successful ways to get promoted as a BDR or an SDR, how to hit your number if your back's against the wall, how to stay consistent and maintain persistency even when things get tough, and then finally, common myths of sales enablement and how you can work together as a sales leader and as a sales enablement person to get the most out of your organization. So let's, let's get started as a way of kicking off. Will you share a little bit about your story and your career and why you do what you do today? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I went to Oklahoma state and graduated with a marketing degree and, you know, spent a couple months after that looking for, you know, that perfect marketing gig, which never seems to exist. Um, and one of the things that I was able to uncover is one of my friends became a recruiter for a company called Active Network. And so this was kind of my first foray into software sales. And so they were hiring for market development reps, essentially an SDR type role. Um, and so I went and did that and really, really just like the aspect of sales. It wasn't something I'd ever thought I'd be interested in prior um, and something I ultimately was really good at. So I became a, a top performer there in the MDR role got the opportunity to go to another startup in a similar role as they were scaling up uh, called iDonate. They do nonprofit fundraising software. And so really building relationships with nonprofits to help them better engage younger donors through digital means. Um, And so a lot of interesting conversations going from talking to folks trying to register for marathons. Now I'm talking to folks in the nonprofit space. And then a recruiter from AppDynamics hit me up where it was really kind of cemented uh, my career thus far. And I've spent the bulk of my time. And so I moved on to being a, a BDR at AppDynamics, um, focusing on helping people better understand application performance and driving better customer engagement through their digital channels um, as everything is rapidly changing in the, in the world around us. Um, that's where I really learned a lot about the sales aspect and what really goes into defining messaging and focusing on outcomes and not really selling the feature functions of a product. Um, saw a lot of success in the BDR seat there, uh, sourced about $50 million in pipeline, 25 million of it's cl- since closed, um, and about 200 meetings across enterprise level accounts uh, for the team. Um, after that, I didn't really know what I wanted to do next. I've always done kind of this MDR role and the AU role just as exciting as it sounds. Um, I don't know if it was the, the best fit for me, so I was worked with uh, our leadership there, um, Yevon Wilmay at the time, to really uncover, you know, what are some other options out there that are a little bit more strategic thinking? And so they introduced me to a role leading and developing some of the early stages of what's since become um, AppDynamics integration partner program. And so working with companies like ServiceNow and Pivotal on the joint go-to-market efforts uh, for the companies and how we can better sell together. Um, as part of that role is where I got introduced to enablement. And so 20% of my time was to be given back to helping onboard develop the BDRs that were coming in uh, behind me as I moved into a new role to help them see the same levels of success that we did. Um, ultimately, that led to me joining the enablement team full-time working with our uh, commercial and ISR team. So SDR, BDR, inside sellers and our renewals folks um, and has really cemented kind of the path that I've since taken and really um, has 
ignited my passion for giving back to others, um, continuing to learn and develop myself, but then passing that on to the reps to make sure that everyone's showing up and has the tools, coaching and development that they need to be successful. That's awesome. Yeah. So I think going from somebody that's actually sitting in the seat to enabling others, like being, being the coach that you are, that's what I think of enablement is and the best people in enablement are the ones that have actually done the job because they know the details and the time it takes to be successful in the role. So 200 meetings books booked, did you say $500 million in revenue? Uh, or 50, 50 million. 50, 50 still, million still in, awesome. in pipeline. And then uh, yeah. half of that since actually closed. So quality meetings. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's what it's all about. So being on the other side of enablement, what's, what's been like your biggest thing that you've enjoyed and what's your biggest thing that you're passionate about? You mentioned giving back and helping others. Is it along that vein or something else? Uh, no, I'd say that's the biggest aspect is just giving back. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have access to companies that really invest a lot into their sales process, methodologies, the why behind how sellers should operate. And not everyone gets exposed to that. Um, I'm a part of a couple of different sales communities and just kind of the level of coaching and development is just not the same as what AppDynamics and out here at Data Robot that we've kind of really built into how we operate as a culture. Um, and so just being able to help reps coming in and reps as part of these other communities and companies um, reach their full potential, something I've become really passionate about. Um, I'd say one example, probably my favorite part of enablement is doing things like boot camps, especially when yeah. we were still doing them in person and getting a chance to have all of the new hires coming in. They're super excited and really laying out the, the roadmap to their success through our sales process, through some of the messaging, through the tools that we use, through how do you leverage the ecosystem and really giving them the blueprint to go out and drive their own success. And then with some of the ongoing and coaching development opportunities along the way, whether that's at QBRs or in one-on-ones um, or sometimes, you know, just even doing group sessions for various teams. Yeah. Okay. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot too much here, but a question that just came to mind is somebody getting in their seat. What's one action that you know will work for them immediately? That's the first question. The second question is somebody who's been, selling for a long time, maybe they're a BDR that's trying to get to the next level of an AE or do something with their career. So first question, how can somebody be successful out the gate? Yeah, I'd say if you're brand new to an organization, you've got to understand the things that are going on at your customer. You need to understand the outcomes they're focused on, the challenges that they're facing. And a couple ways you can uncover that is talking to the existing sellers on the team. What problems are they solving for their customer base? talking to folks on the customer side, if you're, if you've got the option, so what are you actually experiencing in the trenches? You know, why did you buy from our company? What are we helping you solve? Um, and taking those two things will allow you to really understand the language of the customer. And if you're using that in your PG, your messaging, um, your outreach and all of your engagements, it really helps you build that bond with your, with your customers and paints you as an expert, even though you may be new to the space. Yeah. One of my mentors told me the first thing you should do in a new job is what you said, go find a current customer and go sit down with them, buy them coffee, buy them lunch if you can in person or do something nice for them over Zoom and ask them what's all the things you love about our company and tell me all the things you hate and really just have that open conversation and take notes like you said and, and go from there because you're going to get that honest feedback of the things that they were dealing with before you, they bought your product after and where you can help them. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. It's a great way to build your foundational knowledge um, and help you just resonate more as you start to prospect and start to engage with customers and making sure that you're focused on things that typically they'll care about 
allowing you to build value in your conversations and ultimately, you know, drive strategic deals forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, the BDRC and the SDRC, it's one of the most arguably hardest positions within sales. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about one of your biggest failures, which I'm excited to chat about, but let's talk about, um, the second question, somebody who's been in the seat for a while, they're trying to get to the AE level or maybe get an enablement. Like you said, what's a way for them to stand out and do something different, especially when they've just been beating their head against the wall and don't know what to do at this point, their backs against the corner. Yeah. The first thing is make sure you're hitting your number. If you're not doing that, you're not going to be a part of any of the conversations to hear about what other opportunities might be out there, whether that's moving into operations, enablement, AE, whatever that next step is for you. Um, but once you're consistently doing that, definitely leverage your manager and the managers of the teams that you're interested in to see what you could be doing more to learn about those spaces. So if you want to be an AE, are you spending time shadowing AEs? Are you getting exposed to the rest of the sales process you know, once you've booked that meeting or run that discovery? And if you're building a tight relationship with these AEs and these teams, you know, some of the smaller deals that they might ha not have the, the bandwidth for, you know, they can drop to you and gives you a chance to run some of this process. And so I'd say, number one, make sure you're hitting your own number. And then number two, seek out knowledge and opportunities for you to gain that skill set that you'll have in the next seat. Because that way, when a seat does open up an AE, why would you not be the choice if you've already been showing that you can do some of the work? Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. What happens if they're not hitting their number? What are some ways they can get outside their own head and, and start to hit their number? Yeah, especially as a BDR, typically you're measured on, you know, meetings booked, meetings completed. Um, sometimes some of that's out of your control. You know, it's up to the AE ultimately if it's something that they're going to convert. Um, but the things you can be doing up front are making sure that your messaging's on point, making sure that you're targeting the right accounts and the right types of contacts within those accounts. Um, and if you're doing those things and you're truly booking qualified meetings, you can go back to that AE, you can go back to their leader and your leader and really define like, hey, what are we missing here? What did I not uncover in my discovery process or early on in the cycle that you need for this to be an opportunity? And usually that'll help you close the gap um, with whatever your number might be. Yeah, that makes sense. But so a real world example, you personally, I know you, your first month, I think as a BDR, you had zero meetings booked and you're starting to freak out and panic. Can you tell us how you worked through that? Yeah, definitely uh, a light bulb and true crisis moment for me. I'd come from two companies where I'd been, you know, the top BDR in terms of meetings booked and things actually converting into opportunities. Then I come to App Dynamics and just kind of came in with the game plan that I can just continue to do what's made me successful, you know, even though I'm entering a much more complex market, going after much more senior level context and solving, you know, huge business problems for enterprise organizations. It just wasn't the, the same level of conversations I was having previously. So my first month here, I booked zero meetings. Uh, target was five at the time as I was ramping. And so it was kind of a, okay, what do I need to do differently? Like everything I'm doing has worked before. Um, so I sat down with my leadership team at the time to really just chat through, you know, what's different about the space? You know, what are the top SDRs here doing? Who should I be shadowing? Who should I be talking to? Um, and it really came back to uh, the point we highlighted earlier is just understanding the customer's perspective. What are the challenges they face? What are the outcomes? And who are the people that deal with that? And what's the implication of those challenges? What is it preventing them from doing or stopping them from achieving? And if you can work that into your messaging, you'll resonate like uh, prospecting, I hate to say it, but you know, it truly is kind of a numbers game and you gotta be in the right place at the right time. But if your message isn't relevant, it won't matter when you're there. And so coming up with that relevancy 
and building true uh, messaging that resonates to drive the value that you can provide and how you can help the, your customers was the gap that I was missing. And so by working on that messaging, shadowing a, a number of the SDRs and AEs that were having success uh, really helped me change my game. And, you know, since then, I was always at 150% of uh, that meetings book number month over month. Yeah, that's huge. So what I'm hearing is you, instead of waking up every day, feeling stressed out, trying to make your hundred dials or hundred emails or whatever your metric was, you took a step back and said, okay, how am I actually attaching myself to the business? How am I solving problems from, from a business standpoint versus pushing features down uh, prospects throats? And you actually had that conversation with your manager instead of just trying to pick up the phone and, and maybe push more numbers, push more dials, because even if you doubled your, your quantity, your quality wasn't going up. So you did a great job of which I think when we get into prospecting mode, even if you're an AE, it's really hard to not just want to hit the numbers and actually take a step back. So that's awesome that you did that. Yeah, I'd say what I tell everyone now as they're starting out or struggling with prospecting is making sure you're doing activity with intent. And so you're not mm -hmm. just reaching out to people, you're reaching out to people because you have a why. So here's why I'm reaching out to you and why I think we can help. Uh, and it'll really change the game and the level of conversations that you're having. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your best practices. So you've got to do a lot of activity as a BDR and even a account executive. How do you stay organized throughout your day to know that you're touching the right contacts and, and having that why with intention? Yeah. So when I was uh, in the seat, the biggest thing for me was time blocks and just blocking little hour, two hour chunks on my calendar throughout the day, throughout the week. So I knew what accounts I'm going after, who I'm calling at those accounts, and a quick blurb of why I picked this account and these people in the first place. And I would just drop that into the meeting invite and then hold myself accountable to making those calls, making those emails, doing those social touches during that account specific time. Uh, the second thing that I did with that, especially for the call blocks, because uh, prospecting can definitely be banging your head against the wall. You're not getting answers. You're getting hung up on. Uh, was partnering with a couple of the other uh, top performers on the team and doing those call blocks jointly. So we'd block off two hours, we'd go sit in the room and huddle up and make those dials together. Great learning opportunity. And then also whenever you know you do get shut down, you could have laughs with some friends instead of kind of wallowing in the, in the pain of, of a failure. Um, and I'd say it's, those time blocks have been huge. The other piece um, is just the persistence and consistency around uh, booking meetings. Um, it can get tedious, especially if you're just going after, you know, hundreds of contacts, you know, dozens of accounts at a time working, you know, with a number of different AEs. And as soon as you miss that consistency in, you know, the activity that you're doing, you'll see a gap later on. And so once you get your PG plan rolling and you really have a prospecting cadence that you're sticking to and holding yourself accountable to, you won't see those gaps and you'll start to see meetings coming in regularly. Um, you know, I got to the point where, you know, I was booking two meetings a week consistently, not having to worry about where I was at because I had done all the uh, legwork up front and stuck to my plan. And then my plan started working for me. And you can see that success just rolling. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. You're planting the seeds for future, for future meetings. And then if you don't, you start to get excited and rest on your laurels and all of a sudden you're booking meetings. And then one week, the next week, you don't have meetings coming in because of that. So what were some of the things you were doing to prepare? You had mentioned you you're going after one account at a time. Does that look like, does that look like five accounts throughout the week, one per day, or what does that look like? Yeah, so I was supporting on our New England region. And so there was six reps at, at its peak. And so I would take an account or two from each rep. So I'd have 12 total 
and each week I'd only work on maybe three or five of the accounts and then I'd rotate these week over week so I could touch all 12 over the course of a month um, and do multiple touches over the course of a quarter. Uh, but each week for those three accounts, I'd really sit down and um, we call it a why anything, but I'd build out, you know, what's my why anything for this account? What's going on at, you know, this retailer or this bank or this insurer that would lead them to want it to need uh, our solution? And then go through and find who are the people associated with that and who cares about those outcomes and how can my solution help them specifically based off their role or their function? And then with those two things, um, I put together some messaging and then I'd go pull, you know, 15 to 20 contacts at each of those three to five accounts. And that was what I would hammer down the whole week. And so Mondays was typically my big email day, just kind of setting the seeds for the calls that I'll do later in the week. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday were the call heavy days where I'm calling through these lists, trying to get to folks. Um, if I'm not getting to them, always leaving a voicemail and always following up with a, with an email. Um, and then also integrating some social touches throughout that cadence. So over the course of the week, each of those three to five accounts are probably getting, you know, four or five touches from me across various mediums. And as you expand that out, you know, week over week over week, that adds up pretty quickly. Um, someone's got statistics out there, you know, where it takes six to eight touches to ultimately book a meeting. A, a number of reps are only doing two or three touches. And so by implementing uh, the plan that I had in place, it allowed me to up the number of touches I'm getting these accounts and make sure I'm also scaling across, you know, the 12 accounts I'm focused on for the, the AEs I supported. Yeah, I heard, um, I, I would argue the six to eight, that's very, very, very generous. I think it takes like 20, 25 touches nowadays. I mean, easily. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, it's definitely creeping up. Um, I've been chatting with some of our SDRs and some of the ISRs here at Data Robot now. And, you know, they're, they're telling me they've been reaching out to people since March, you know, just now getting hits. And so they've probably been touched, you know, a dozen, if not more times. Um, but it's really just that consistency, making sure you have a multi-channel approach. Just email, just calls, just LinkedIn isn't going to get you where you need to be. It's got to be a mix of the three. Um, and then making sure that you're relevant. And so as long as you've got those two things and you've got the consistency week over week, you'll see those meetings start to come up on the calendar for you. Yeah, I think just trusting the process. And one thing I, I saw you post and we've talked about it is knowing your numbers, right? Like mm -hmm. you need to know how long it takes you to convert a meeting. Maybe yours is a little higher than somebody who's been seasoned or maybe it's a little bit lower but knowing your specific numbers on what the average is and if you don't know what your numbers are to start get somebody that you can trust and just follow that formula for now because it's been successful i think the biggest thing about prospecting is just trusting that it's going to pan out and pay off the work that you're doing because it's hard when nobody's answering the first few months or whatever it is Definitely. And you've really got to just separate yourself from that outcome. Like that's yeah. just part of prospecting. Some people aren't going to get back to you or they're not going to be happy you reached out. Um, but having a plan in place and a cadence and again, that relevance to why you're reaching out will really help ease those conversations and make sure that, you know, you're not missing the mark and making the most opportunities uh, when you do get someone on the line. Yeah. You said something really important there, why you're reaching out. And I think we can be selfish as salespeople. We've got to hit our numbers. We've got to hit our quotas. But when you say, why am I reaching out? That flips the mindset. And it's almost like, instead of you calling a bunch of random people for work, it's almost like you're calling friends to give them advice. You know, when you find this new, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, let's say this new flavored water that you love. I see you drinking water. You got to try this hint out. Like it's the best thing ever. It, it tastes so good. It makes my morning so amazing. 
you're going out and telling as many people as possible just because you like the product. So thinking about it that way, I know I just went off on a little tangent, but would you agree with that or what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I know our reps that are having challenges with PG struggle with is it's really product focused, which don't get me wrong. Data robots an incredible product and he's a leader in the space, but the product's not going to sell itself. Um, you've got to find people that are either have initiatives or challenges around AI and machine learning in our space and understand why they're trying to do those within the strategies that the broader company has. And if you connect those dots, when you're reaching out to that person, you can say, hey, here's why I'm reaching out to you based off of my research. And I think Data Robot can help you by doing X, Y, and Z. That's when you'll get those really energetic responses and start laying the foundation for someone that might become a potential champion and help you run a sales campaign. Yeah, that makes total sense. Being more thoughtful behind the outreach versus just slamming the phones like the old school ways. Exactly. Um, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say again, that activity with intent and just making sure you're not just doing dials to do dials, but you're doing dials with the, with the purpose. Yeah. And I think, um, this is such an important part. You'd mentioned you're preparing for your week, right? You're not going through trying to hit all of your contacts in one time and just checking the box. You're probably taking an hour, maybe even more every week, whether it's on Sunday or Friday and saying, these are the three times 15, you know, 30, 40, 50 people you want to reach out to the week and you're putting some messaging behind it. So that way on Monday morning, you can wake up and know exactly what you're going after versus getting through Monday and just putting your plan together. Then you're already a day behind. So exactly. Um, I think the prep in the organization is really critical, especially with something like prospecting, because I could just show up on Monday figure out what 12 accounts I'm going to go after, get on LinkedIn or Zoom info and figure out who I'm going to go after. And, you know, next thing you know, it's 12 o'clock and I haven't really made any true progress. Yeah. Or I can spend an hour, two hours on Friday afternoon when it's slow anyways, or Sunday night, you know, as I'm watching um, football now that that's back and build yeah. out this plan. So when I come in on Monday, it's, I can get into activity that I know is going to move the needle and not just spend time, you know, researching or building a list or trying to find phone numbers. Yeah. And you, you're present when it's slower versus Monday morning, like your boss is calling you contacts are hitting you up. It, you actually have some time to think and be strategic. And I think the biggest thing that we miss as salespeople is just having that time to think about our accounts and, and put yourself in the buyer's shoes of how can I impact them in a meaningful way and not just push my product, but what does Deandre care about in his role and how can I help him from a personal exactly. Yeah, that's definitely, yeah. definitely key. Yeah. I mean, we miss it all the time, myself included. Thinking about um, your role in enablement now, what do you think a big myth is that you deal with or hear a lot? Yeah, I'd say a big one is that, you know, enablement's just here to check the box or the training's not impactful um, or, you know, it's just they're focused on certifications, but that doesn't really give the reps value. Um, and so one of the things that I definitely try to hold myself accountable to is using data to show the reps why we're focused on enablement on a specific topic. You know, maybe we're falling behind on our prospecting, maybe your first meetings aren't converting in opportunities that we're running and going into the metrics, understanding, you know, what's causing this gap or this deficiency and starting our training with that. So it's a, here's why we're here today. Here's the impact this problem's having. And here's what the impact could be if we were to fix this or give you the tools so that you can, you know, go out and perform better in your different engagements. Um, and just really laying that context and making the training as impactful as possible 
and then tying that back to things that they can actionably take away uh, has been huge and critical um, and has led to a number of reps messaging me after trainings. Um, you know, we did one this morning on NBM execution for us. And so that's our first big meeting with the customer and the goal is to set up a POV. Um, we saw that, you know, we were only converting, you know, about a third of those. We're shooting towards getting to 50%. And so we wanted to build concrete training with actionable tips that reps could use in those meetings to ensure that they're maximizing the conversion rate. Um, and so by doing that and giving them different tools that they can use and uh, role play and at bats during the session, um, you know, afterwards we're getting fire emojis on our Slack channel about you know, how, how committed uh, the reps were to the session. It really drove up the engagement and it wasn't just us preaching to them. You know, they were really driving conversation, asking questions and we made it real to them because it's a problem they know that they have, they can't figure out the answers. And so we wanted to partner with them to show them that there is a path to, uh, to success there. Here's the tools you can use. And uh, here's how you can use this yourself as well as you can come to us for coaching and development on how to do these things better. That's huge. It sounds like you're still using the three whys. Why anything? Why now? Why do you need enablement? So <laughs> it's, what a framework it's for life. <laughs> it, it works. It really does. And it's, it's, a, it's a subtle mindset shift. But once you start thinking that way, everything that you're doing, like, honestly, that's just how people think. So it makes sense. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. As you were saying it, I was like, he's still using this subconsciously. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, what would you say to somebody that maybe doesn't have enablement that, you know, if they're not working strongly with their enablement team or what could, what could they do to try and get some buy-in to lean in a little bit more? Yeah. Um, if you've got a small enablement team, I've talked to quite a few companies recently that don't have enablement or they're just starting out. Uh, one of the things that you can do, there's a number of different communities popping up out there. There's a number of thought leaders on LinkedIn that you can follow to kind of get ad hoc enablement on very specific topics. Um, and so I'd do a self-assessment of yourself. You know, what are your gaps or what do you think is holding you back from being where you want to be from a performance standpoint? And there's a multitude of resources out there that you can leverage um, as your company's wrapping up its own enablement. Um, if you're having trouble, you know, with existing um, enablement structures, you know, within your company as it is, you know, it might be worth getting with your manager and sitting down with the enablement team and just saying like, here's what, um, where I think, you know, our challenges are as a team. Um, and here's what we've been doing for enablement. You know, we're not seeing it really move the needle. How can we collaborate to make sure that these trainings are engage, engaging, that they're impactful? Um, and they're things that we can have takeaways from to actually do to drive um, success forward. Um, and really just being open and transparent, given that feedback. Um, enablement's only as good as the feedback that we get. And so if right. you tell us we're missing the mark, we can make corrections. If it's bad and you don't tell us, we'll continue to do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, instead of, this is so classic, uh, enablement just wants training. Like you said earlier, the common myth or yeah. got to check the box. So if you have that mindset around, they can't do anything for me and they're just a waste of time. That's probably how it's going to be no matter how good they are. But if you say, I need help with this and give the feedback from the field, you guys can actually do something on it. Exactly. Yeah. We, we don't want to run sessions just to run sessions. You know, a lot of work goes into developing and putting these things together. And if we just go out there and miss the mark, you know, no one got value out of it. And so that feedback is critical and just having that constant loop, whether that's rep to enablement directly or leveraging your leadership team to really drive that message home to make sure that you're getting the training that you need on the topics that you need when you need it. Yeah, that's huge. DeAndre, what's something you wish we covered today or a question you wish that wish I asked? Is there anything you feel like we need to cover before we wrap up? A question I wish you'd asked. Um, 
I feel like every podcast does either recommendations for other resources or like what's a book yeah. you just read. Um, so I'd probably go with that. You know, what's a, what's a book I just read? It's been kind of a, a key one that I've heard in a couple of different conversations this week. Yeah. Um, so what is it? <laughs> yeah. So for me, uh, everyone's probably read um, now by Oren Clough, Pitch Anything. Yeah. And so I just finished doing a reread of that probably the second or third time I've read it now. Um, and just really diving into the stories that he tells and the engagements that he has as he's doing these different investor presentations. But I really love how simple he breaks down the science and the mental aspect and the emotion that are actually going on from both his perspective as well as from his client's perspective. And so if you haven't given it a read, I'd definitely give, a, give that a recommendation. It's not too long and it's a really quick read. It's actionable stories and you'll leave with some different tips that you can actually put into practice, you know, going into next week right after you read the book. Yeah, the Audible is really fun too because he narrates it and he's like kind of this quirky guy with really fun voice inflections and it's it's a good thing to listen to. I haven't got to that yet, so I'll have to check that one out this weekend. Yeah, you totally should. I mean, it's hilarious. He has you cracking up the whole time because he just kind of riffs off of it and it's great. <laughs> I'll definitely check that one out. Yeah, cool. All right, uh, so last question here, DeAndre, seeing that this is the Professionals on Purpose podcast, I got to ask you, what does living a life on purpose mean to you? Yeah, so I think there's really three big things. Um, kind of between, you know, work and personal life. And so one of them is just making sure that, you know, every day you wake up, you're working for, uh, towards a goal of something that's, you know, you're passionate about. For me, that's helping others be successful. And so uh, by being in this role and enablement, I have the opportunity to do that. So every day I can wake up with, you know, 100% energy, if not 110% and really be dedicated to the work that I'm doing. Um, you also have to be excited about the company that you work for. Um, and so Data Robot is a solution that's, solving, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of problems or challenges that folks are facing as digital transformation and the introduction of AI and customers expecting more from the, from the organizations that they're purchasing and uh, interfacing with. And so making sure that you're working for something that's a solution to a problem that you're interested in yourself. And so it's always been something that I've been interested in is kind of, you know, how do companies really make these different decisions? Like that's pretty critical to the success of their business. And so now being a part of those conversations every day has been really impactful for me. Um, and then lastly, just making sure that um, your work life and your personal life are balanced well. And so making sure that things aren't overtaking each other, especially now with COVID and everyone's working in a home office, you know, giving yourself those times to kind of unwind and connect with you know, friends, family, um, and get out of the house and really unplug makes you that much more refreshed when you come in the next day for work. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, all those points are are so big in order to have long-term success, not get burnt out and actually enjoy what you do and, and yep. feel aligned to what you do, which is ultimately the goal here, right? Yeah, definitely. It's huge. Uh, it makes it a lot easier to wake up every day when you're excited about it. Yeah. Well, awesome, DeAndre. Well, with that, we'll wrap up. Thanks so much for being a part of this. I took a lot of notes and I'm hoping the listeners did too. Awesome. Thanks again, Frankie. Looking forward to uh, catching up with you later. All right. Take care. Great job. So we'll do, um, we're recording still. We'll do a, uh, an intro. Okay. So I was just, that was awesome. How'd you think it went? Uh, good. I think there's yeah. a natural flow and there's some back and forth. So it wasn't just like question, answer, question, answer. Right. Um, Obviously, this is my first time, so I'd love your feedback also now that you've done a handful of these. Yeah. Well, let's, um, so I was thinking 
so four things we're going to highlight successful ways to get uh, promoted and advance your career as a BDR, how to hit your number if your back's against the wall, how to stay organized and maintain consistent, um, maintain consistency, and then common myths of enablement. Okay. You think that sounds good? I think so. Perfect. So I'm just going to do the intro. All right. Welcome to Professionals on Purpose. We've got an awesome show for you today. 